We've come to our Bible reading for tonight. Uh, comes from Acts chapter 27, verses 13 to 44. We're in the middle of Paul's journey. Um, he's leaving Caesarea. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cyrus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and, left and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the, for the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When day daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. 
Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from, from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. And get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, it's a shame to not see you face to face, but I know many, many of you are online with us, gathering together around God's word, worshiping Him as a body. And so it's wonderful that we can do that. And yeah, I hope you're encouraged as well by the story of what God has done in this church through Robin and he continues to do. And we are going to look at this passage in Acts. And no, I didn't pick it as uh, Nadine alluded to today or, or yesterday. It was something that was planned two months ago. And so even there, you see a bit of the sovereignty of God. But as you pray that you, or hope you have your Bible with you, we're going to journey through all of Acts chapter 27 and flick over into Acts 28 as well. So a bit of journey to cover there. But before we do, let me pray. Our good, our great, and our sovereign God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is true, that it speaks to us today in the same way uh, that it did 2,000 years ago to your people then. We pray you help us to understand it uh, in its time then and what it means for us to live it out in this moment uh, for the rest of our life. We pray by your Holy Spirit that wherever we are, uh, scattered across our little region here, uh, that you make us more into likeness of Christ. You remove distractions uh, and we look forward to the things that you'll teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you don't need me to say it, but what a couple of days uh, it has been. Uh, we didn't expect to be in this kind of capacity with you know five or so people here and all of you over there. Um, in many ways, we've been shaken up uh, in an unwanted kind of way. Uh, speaking to a number of you over across the last couple of days, there's, you know, that kind of fear of all oh, what is before us. There's that disappointment, uh, frustration about all sorts of different things. And as we've said a number of times this evening, just standing amongst this set, uh, knowing what we were playing towards and uh, those things kind of being taken away from us, it feels a little bit chaotic. It feels like we've been, all of us, all at once kind of thrust and, and pushed into another unwanted storm. But even as I say that, and as I was thinking about this passage weeks ago, we know that COVID is not the only kind of storm that we face. It's not the only kind of storm that we experience in our life. Because there's events, there's feelings which are often beyond our control, or particular events which feel like storms. Death of a loved one, there's financial stress and burden. There's things going on in our work which really deeply affect us. We're thrust into terrible states of physical or mental illness. That's just to name a few things. We go through many seasons of life where it can feel chaotic. Where we feel like we are thrust into those unwanted storms, forced to be in experiences and have feelings uh, which we never wished we had to encounter. And we naturally, we ask the question, well, where's God? What is God doing? What is, what is he doing in this storm? 
Now, we've been journeying through this series in Acts, and we've been seeing God do amazing things, and we've been seeing plenty of storms. But this one, it, we kind of are getting into a different kind of storm, a bit more of a literal one, really, uh, because we've had many kind of lengthy dialogues, uh, and we've been, you know, smelling the smells of, of governors' homes and of prison. But now we're stepping out to the sea. The squawking of seagulls, the wind in your hair, the smell of the salt, the churning of your stomach across the seas, right? This is the moment and the kind of uh, journey that we're out to pick up. And we're here because Paul uh, is, has been on a journey to Rome for a long time. Uh, more recently, he's been a prisoner and he's been in these bunch of trials uh, and within them, he's appealed to Caesar. And that appeal to Caesar meant that Governor Festus has now sent him on this sea journey through to Rome, across the, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, yeah, all the way from Caesarea uh, to Rome there in Italy. And so that's where we are. That's where we're, we're heading. So hopefully yeah, you've got your Bibles uh, in front of you. Uh, we jump on board verse 1 with Paul and a bunch of other companions and this centurion named Julius. And it all starts pretty well. When you kind of read, read through it, uh, it's, the centurion tr- treats him kindly. He gets to see some uh, friends and get some supplies. But then you get some delays and disturbances pretty much straight away. The wind is unfavorable. Uh, they have to go away, which is not what they want to do. There'll be a map that comes up, and you'll see where they're trying to go. They're trying to go up into the top uh, left-hand corner there. But they have to go up and around Cyprus, uh, and they head to that city called Myra. Now, Myra, that means nothing to us, but it's an important city that was uh, often, or most of the time, got grain from Alexandria and Egypt, and then took it to Rome. Actually took about three quarter, uh, one-third sorry, of all of Rome's grain needs. So it's a big port that's taking a lot of grain. Big ships there, and the centurion finds one for Paul and the other companions, uh, and they jump on board that one, and then we head off again uh, from verse 7. But it's still the same kind of thing. It's a bigger boat, but it's still slow. The wind and the waves, they're not helpful. They're pushing the boat away they don't want to go. They're pushing them towards doing things they don't want to have to do, being in places they don't want to have to be. And it's really slow. It's like if when we're traveling on a holiday, we're dreaming now, aren't we? But from here to the north coast, and say so you decide, probably silly really, but at 8 a.m. you decide to go up the north coast. You have to drive through the city. It's traffic galore. You might even decide to go through some back streets, but it's still so slow and frustrating. That's the kind of journey that this boat is on. And it's at that point they, they end up at this city called, port city called Fairhaven. Now it's kind of like in the back city, it's a bit of nowhere, kind of like a no-name petrol station. Uh, that's where they've ended up. And then Paul says this, verse 10. He warned them, Men, I can see that our journey is going to be disastrous. It's going to bring great loss loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Paul here, he's using his experience and reason. He's been on the sea before and knows this is a bad idea, guys. Don't do it. This is not the best plan. But the owners and the ship and the centurion, they have a chat and they decide, no, 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 we've got to go. We think we can. We can see hope ahead. We're going to go. And in that moment, there is a bit of hope. When you have a look at verse 13, which is what Billy started to read for us, opportunity sparks. 
because the gentle south breeze begins to blow. And that is perfect sailing conditions for where they want to get to in Phoenix. Kind of, I imagine, how a bit of us were feeling about COVID the last couple of months. Oh, it's around, but you know, we sense the opportunity. We're going to go. We're going to keep going forward. And in that moment, verse 14 hits. And it says a wind of hurricane force called the northeast that kind of blows in from the island of Crete. Now, this isn't just some strong breeze that kite surfers like to get on top of at Brighton Beach. Now, this is like a cyclone, hurricane force winds. It is serious. It is unrelenting. And in this moment, fear and panic and stress pervade the ship. They're now driven out into the open and the dangerous seas where they certainly, certainly do not want to be. And everything just goes from bad to worse to now catastrophic. When you have a look, verses 18 and 19, they're getting such a battering. They're throwing their cargo over. Days later, they're still getting a battering. They're throwing their tackle over the stuff that they need to like drive this boat and keep it going the way they want to. Everything that they need, that, sorry, that they don't need for their survival is gone. They're in this ship, bobbing along in the wind and the waves. They're trying to hold it together with ropes. No navigation because the sun and the stars, the moon can't be seen. Out in the dangerous ships, and they, got, they, they feel like they're heading towards the sandbars of Cyrenus, which is like if you are to drive into the Great Barrier Reef, and they call that area of the world the graveyard of ships. Like this is hopelessness. They only see death before them, really. And in the dim and the desperate and the deflating words that Luke captures for them in verse 20, he said, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. The crew and everyone that was in them had lost all hope. Now, we might not have been on a travel journey like that where we've lost hope. But I'm sure you can think of situations in your life where you've felt hopeless or at least close to hopeless in your life, in your family, your friends, whatever it may be. That feeling where you feel like you can't go on. The situation where it feels like there is no good end in front of you, where life might not ever be the same for whatever reason it may be. Those feelings of hopelessness those deflating feelings can be very real for us. And it's in that kind of situation, in a situation on the seas of hopelessness, that God and Paul step in. Paul, in the midst of that hopelessness, in the same hopeless situation as them, he says this, verse 21. Men, you should have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete. Then you would, not have, you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Now, it kind of sounds like Paul's doing a ha-ha-ha, I was right, you were wrong kind of thing. He's not actually doing that. He's saying more like, guys, I said this was going to happen. Please listen to me. Listen to my God. And he says then, but I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. But last night I saw an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve He stood before me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that 
it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're going to have to run aground on some island. Like we're used to Paul kind of standing up faithfully defending the gospel, but he's isolated and everyone he's speaking to is in a completely different situation. But this is quite different. And what's holding kind of what Paul was saying together in this mini speech is that he is declaring the faith of God. He's declaring his faith in God and the hope that he has in God amidst the hopelessness, amidst the chaos. Now, in this particular situation, God has promised him physical protection and his promise for the travelers as well. But this is just God's word. Paul is in the dark pretty much. He's battered by the wind and the waves. He's water-soaked. It looks like this is a place where God is not at all. Yet, he speaks the hope of God from within the storm. It's in the midst of the storm that Paul declares his hope to his fellow travelers. And then the story moves on. But in that kind of twinkling of hope is shared in the dark, the water-soaked, storm-stricken boat. They're still helpless at sea. And then we read in, in verse 27 that they feel like they're approaching land. You have a look at your screen there. They're like heading up to Malta. They don't realize that at this stage. Now, this is after two weeks of pure anxiety and hopelessness for them. But for land, that kind of is like a, a good thing and a bad thing because they could get dashed upon the rocks. And if they make it, well, what's there? Who's going to be there? Is anyone going to be there? It's still fearful. It's still unknown for them. And that's what's pervading the ship. And again, in that moment of hopelessness, Paul steps up. He steps up within that same situation and he calls out to them, verse, verse kind of 33 and on. He basically says, guys, you've got to have some food because we are going to survive. How? I don't know, but God said so. God's word is true and we are going to be saved. And then he leads by example. He takes some food. He gives great thanks to God and for his provision and grace. Then as you read on verse 39, daylight comes. Seemingly for the first time in almost two weeks, and they, they bring up the anchors, they hoist the sail, and they charge for the beach. Now, as we had read, uh, they hit a sandbar, they kind of jolted to a halt. The storm is smashing the boat from behind them, but it's still kind of deep. The centurion is like, okay, well, whoever can swim, get out and swim. If you can't swim, jump on the broken parts of the ship, jump on someone's back, get to shore. And what do we read by the end? That even those that swim and those that can't are saved. But the ship is lost. Shipwrecked, but saved. God's prof Paul's prophecy from God's word comes true. And then now we're in chapter 28. Paul and his fellow soaked travelers, they're trying to orientate themselves in this new land. And they're kind of a bit surprised by, by what they find. Uh, when you flick through, uh, poor Paul, right? He, it, after trials and storms and shipwrecks, it just it doesn't relent for this poor man. A snake bites him. A, he's bitten by a snake. But miraculously, God protects him. God shows his power and anointing of Paul by preventing him from dying, much to the, uh, the surprisement of uh, the islanders. And then Paul continues to show the hand of God by going around and healing uh, the islanders' chief's father and then seemingly everybody in the whole island. 
bringing the healing hand of God to these people. And what we see there is that even in a shipwreck, even in when you sail onto an unknown land for Paul, we see the hand and the grace of God. Because Paul and the travelers, they're blessed by the land that they've come across. They rock up on a sandy beach. They're able to make it to shore and they find themselves in what seems to be the most friendly people in the whole empire, caring for them in that immediate moment, then for the next three months, and then they get them on a ship uh, to continue on their journey. But at the same token for the islanders, God has brought Paul to them. And by doing that, he's brought the, the healing hand of God to them. And they too receive the blessing and the power of God because nothing is beyond God's power and beyond his purposes. And then as we, you read on from verse 11, basically what we see is Paul's arrival in Rome. The journey of getting to Rome is complete. The ship sails up, they meet some friends. And he arrives pretty much really unceremoniously, but triumphantly it seems, into Rome. Jesus has promised it and he's there. And this has actually been the underlying theme and kind of the pervading kind of purpose of the whole narrative of Acts. Because for, our reader, for us as readers, who are people who are trying to know God, we see that God is sovereign. We see he is faithful to fulfill his purposes and his promises. So many times throughout that storm and that shipwreck and that snake bite, it would be easy for Paul and any of those travelers to think that God doesn't care, to think that God doesn't exist or God doesn't have any kind of power or whatever. The storms, they seem uncontrollable. The shipwreck sounds like a disaster. But God had never left Paul. God had never, never had his purposes thwarted. They are always achieved. And in the context of the whole book of Acts, we see his purpose is about seeing the gospel advance. It continues to go forward. Nothing is going to stop it. No storms, no shipwrecks, no snake bites is going to stop the gospel from reaching its goal of reaching the people in the ends of the earth. Now I'm standing here amongst the Holiday Club set. You've seen it, we've spoken about it. We know the incredible work that's gone into it with Robin and her team. We've seen the incredible work and the, and the fruit of this ministry for the last 20 years. It's easy for you to watch me, for me to sit here and to think that God's purposes are ruined. But we know they're not. We don't know how. We, we're not told. I haven't got a vision from Paul. No one's told me about any vision from, Paul, uh, from God. But we know that God's purposes will still go on. Even when it seems hopeless, even when our plans do not go at all, how we expected them to go. We know that God's purposes will still continue. And in a similar way, we know that God's promises are always kept. God can be trusted by his word. We've seen throughout the narrative, just this one alone, that God said to Paul, you're going to get to Rome and he got there. He said you and all the travelers are going to be saved and they were. He said the ship will be destroyed and it was. God is faithful and powerful enough to keep his promises. Now, God is, doesn't always promise Paul his physical safety. You can read in 2 Corinthians, for example, all the crazy things that Paul has had to endure. And Paul, I imagine, certainly didn't enjoy this experience. We don't enjoy the, the storms in our life. 
But Paul knows of the sovereignty of God. And he based his convictions and his actions on the promises of God for him. And we have an incredible amount of promises for us in God's word too. I'll just mention a couple here, but that God, he never leaves us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We can't be taken from him. Even when we're in whatever storms of life we find ourselves, and it feels like God is not there. It feels like he's not controlled. God is with us. He never leaves us. And we know, as it says in Romans, that all things work out for the good of those who love him according to God's purposes. Now, that doesn't mean what we think is good is going to happen or what we plan or we purpose is going to happen. But we can have confidence that God's good purposes for him and for us will be accomplished. And we know that through any season in life, at the end of the age, Jesus will come again wipe every tear from our eyes and we will be resurrected with a new, transformed, perfected body. We have that sure hope for our everyday. And God is faithful to keep his promises to us. And so if God is completely faithful within this storm and within any form of storm that we find ourselves in life, we have a firm foundation to be faithful within the storm. It wasn't easy for Paul and it certainly won't be easy for us. It's not going to be pleasant. It's probably going to be chaotic. We might not be able to see a way out, but we know we can be faithful within the storm. Whatever storms we find ourselves in. I remember when I was leading a short-term mission trip to Indonesia. If you were around at the back end of 2018, you would have remembered. Now, my faith in the sovereignty of God was maybe pushed to its limit on that trip. Because on that trip, we'd planned for a year. For a year. Uh, we'd trained, we'd prayed, we'd prepared well for that, that mission trip there. But on the first full day we got there, we were told that there was a genuine credible threat of exposure due to our gospel work there. Uh, and the, the team that we were going to meet had disbanded and we couldn't go and do what we were doing. A year of planning, praying, for what? Then God established a new way for us and we got excited. Then that night, a gas explosion. The most fearful thing I've ever experienced in our team. What's God doing there? Then we have earthquakes and we have one of our team, Austin, who's gone into emergency surgery into a land. I can't even speak the language. What's God doing there? It was very easy for us to think, what's going on? I question the sovereignty of God. But we're also through a lot of prayer, and the faithfulness of God himself, the Holy Spirit within us, we could have faith. And God was able to achieve his purposes. Because unknown to us, that team that we went to see, they were deeply encouraged. They hadn't had people for months. And we were able to do a work in there that, I won't explain it, but wasn't able to happen uh, if we didn't come. And then also God did an amazing work in us. Unknown to us, God was still achieving his purposes. Now it sucked. I didn't enjoy it. But God was faithful uh, and he continues to be sovereign. But more than just being faithful in the storm, we have the opportunity to bring hope to others within the storm. Now, as we've seen in this passage and in our life from our experience, we know that God allows us to go into the same storms that our neighbors and our friends go through, everyone in the world in different ways, shapes, or forms. 
He allows us to go through those storms as fellow travelers, like Paul did with his fellow travelers, to bring hope. Now imagine if Paul, in this story, wasn't on the boat, maybe just on land, and somehow he knows the storm's coming or they're in the storm and he can miraculously call out and say, oh, don't worry, have hope. You know, God's with you or something. Bring some sort of encouragement. How much more powerful is it if he's actually on the boat, in the storm, declaring his hope, declaring his faith, declaring the word of God, saying, no, I stand on this truth. How much more powerful is that to the people around him? And how much more powerful for us, for whatever storm we're going through, say it's your mental illness or some kind of relationship breakdown, some kind of thing, or you insert your own storm into your life. There's other people that are going through those exact same storms. And when in those moments, and we can declare hope when we see how God is at work, or so we might not see how God is at work, but we trust, and we can bring the hope of God in those situations. How much more powerful is that when we bring hope from within the storm? My brothers and sisters, this is our calling too. Not that we want the storms, not that we're praying for them, not that we're going to enjoy them. But we have the Holy Spirit so we can bring the hope of God within the storm to others. Because in our witness to the world, uh, it can often feel like with our, our evangelism that we're looking for like kind of some special event or some kind of moment where we can say, oh, well, now I get to talk about Jesus. And that's certainly true. But it's also more than that because our witness to the world is often just us in our genuine, winsome, conversational way, showing how we make sense of the world through the lens of the gospel. How we navigate the storms with Jesus as our rock and our redeemer and God as our sovereign anchor. And that is an incredibly powerful witness. So I encourage you all. There's so many different ways that plays out in our life, but pray, think through, chat through what it means for us to bring the hope and the, the hope of the gospel to your friends and your family. Because friends, in the storm of life, the storms that we go through, we have a sovereign God who is faithful and is powerful to fulfill his purposes and keep his promises. And because we're followers of Jesus and we have this sovereign God, we can be faithful in the storm and bring the hope of God to others within the storm. Please let me pray for you and us. Our sovereign God, we know you are so trustworthy, but also within the storm, sometimes it is so hard to continue to trust you. I pray for all of us that you give us great faith to stand on your character and your promises and your word to know that we can be faithful. And God, we pray that you help us from within the midst of the storms of our life that we can bring your hope to this world, the hope of the gospel, the hope of a God who deeply loves and cares for us. Please give us boldness and courage and conviction by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.